Good morning, church family. So very glad you're here. Hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I want to introduce myself. My name is John Cutler, and I serve as one of the ministers here on staff in the Longview campus. I'm over the adult groups ministry, and I'm so very thankful to be sharing God's word with you this morning. I want to thank, even though he's not here, Pastor Todd, uh, for allowing me to share uh, what God has laid on my heart. Thank you, Pastor Daniel, for his leadership. And I'm just excited to be here, uh, excited about what Zeke said. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, guys, but you realize we made it, right? Last week of 2020, uh, the decade of the year, right? <laughs> it feels like it's been 10 years of stuff crammed in the last nine, 10 months, but we did, we made it, and uh, we're looking forward to 2021. And as Pastor Zeke said, what God has in store for us, we're excited about it, and I'm excited that you're here this morning. You know, one thing that's the same, even though it's a new year, is kind of we're in that weird season at the end of the year, right? Between Christmas and New Year's, it's not quite a holiday anymore, but it's not quite back to normal. You know what I mean? The kids are still out of school. Some of us are still out of work. Some of us are going back this week, but we know nothing's really going to happen until after the first, right? Am I the only one? So uh, at Christmas and Thanksgiving, we kind of blew our diet. So we're waiting until post-January to get that gym membership renewed and kind of get back on our eating plan. We overspent on Christmas, so might as well wait on the budget. We don't want to look at it until January, right? That kind of weird period, but we know what's coming. It happens every year. As the first gets closer, we start evaluating the last year, right? We get into looking at what God has done, and we look at all those things we were talking about, our relationships, our diet, our budget, our health, and some of us, if you're crazy, do, do resolutions. I don't know why you would do that, uh, but some of you do. And so, but we start evaluating things, right? And evaluating is not bad. Uh, evaluating can be very good, especially if you have a useful criteria to evaluate against. And so I think as believers, I firmly believe we should be regularly evaluating our walk with the Lord. Uh, Apostle Paul regularly in his letters encouraged believers to evaluate their walk with Christ, to, to evaluate their uh, relationship with him. And so I wanted to kind of dive into one of those moments this morning that Paul is sharing and challenging uh, the believers that he's writing to evaluate their walk. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Colossians 1, and we'll start at verse 9. Colossians 1, uh, verse 9. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul is praying for these believers that he's not met. Uh, he had not been to Colossae, but he had heard about their faith and their love for all of the saints. He calls them saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And this is what he prays. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then not only does he tell them what he's praying for them, he tells them why he's praying. And he said that you would then walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then he says, the reason that you would do that is you would please God. It's a great place to start in evaluating your relationship with the Lord, right? Am I pleasing God? So Paul says, you can in fact walk worthy and in a manner that pleases God. And that's kind of the background of what's happening in, in Colossae. And so uh, they're believers, they have faith, they have love for the saints, but false teachers are coming in 
And they're saying, Jesus Christ is a great place to start, but if you really wanna please God, you need to observe these festivals. If you really wanna please God, then you need to follow these dietary kind of outlines that we have. If you really wanna please God, then you need to be having these out-of-body religious and spiritual experiences. Like there's, there's more if you wanna please God. And what Paul says, listen, what you have is enough, you just need to walk in it. And so that's what Paul is gonna spend the rest of the letter talking about is that the believers at Colossae have what they need, they just need to walk in it. And so in this passage this morning, we're gonna look at four descriptors of a believer who is walking worthy of the Lord and is therefore pleasing to him. So the first thing Paul says, and if, you have, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down, is a disciple that pleases God displays evidence of their relationship with him. Now, this is foundational, and we're gonna spend a few more minutes here than anywhere else, but because I want us to understand that what Paul says in verse 10, as he's praying, he says that you would walk worthy, fully pleasing to him, and then he describes that first description of a believer that pleases God as bearing fruit in every good work. Now, this is the second time Paul's used this word, uh, bearing fruit, and uh, in Colossians 1.5, he says it this way, the gospel, verse six, which has come to you, as indeed to the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. What's he saying? He's saying there's evidence that the gospel is entering not just Colossae, but surrounding areas, and it's increasing. You've believed it, others have believed it, and it's bearing fruit. It's, it's displaying evidence that it is moving forward. I was reminded of, of course, what Jesus said about the sower in Mark 4. He says the, the sower sows the, the seed, which is the word, and it falls on various kinds of soil. He says it falls on the path and snatched away on the rocky ground and it has no depth among thorns and it's choked out. And then he says in the last, it falls on good soil. And so what he says is the sower sows the word, it falls around. So what's the result or the evidence of good seed sown in proper soil? It bears fruit. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So it wasn't the amount of fruit that was the point of the story. It was that if you have a good seed, the gospel, and you have good soil, it's accepted, then there will be fruit, evidence, right, that the seed was sown. And so bearing fruit is the outcome of a seed that is properly sown and from a healthy plant. To say it another way, bearing fruit is outward evidence that the branch is healthy, that the the seed was healthy, that the plant is attached to the, that everything's working the way that it should, or say it another way, the fruit is the product of being attached. So the Bible uses, Jesus used it, Paul uses it, other writers use it, this, this illustration of bearing fruit, because at, at the heart, that's what it is. It's a picture that helps us understand a, a spiritual truth. Bearing fruit, of course, is this agricultural reference, this picture. So we ask the question, why does a branch bear fruit? Why does a plant bear fruit? And it's Two very simple and natural reasons. Number one, it's connected to the vine, which supplies it with everything it needs. And number two, it's what it's designed for, right? So a plant will bear fruit if it is healthy. And Jesus says in the same way, this is the outcome of knowing him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Jesus says that's the evidence that you know me is that you will bear fruit. And so what does the fruit look like, right? Paul says, as he prays this prayer, I pray you bear fruit in every good 
work. And so some of you right then, you're out. You say, I can't do every good work. Sounds like I, I gotta be good all the time, right? Everything I do has to be good. But I think that that's not what Paul's saying here when he uses the word every. I think it's best understood as a collectively rather than individually, some of all types. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor and preacher, points out that in scripture, the words all and every and whole and in the essence of the whole world doesn't always refer to every individual, but every in a sense of touching every category, every people group, every type that is collective. When the whole world has gone after Jesus, we know that he doesn't mean every single person, but some of all different types. And so in the way here, I think that's what he's saying is this touches every part of our life. Now, why does this matter? Understanding what he means by every good work. So all too often, we think doing good work starts and ends within these walls, right? This is where I open up my Bible. This is where I hear the word preached. This is where I go to have gospel conversations. This is where they'll tell me my service opportunities. This is where I'll get to serve the Lord. This is where I'm gonna give my money. This is kind of all the fruit is right here at New Beginnings Baptist Church. And that is so not what Paul is saying when he says bearing fruit in every good work. It's not a, it's not a list of things that we're supposed to do that's good. It's uh, better understood, I think he expresses it in the letter to the Roman church this way. In Romans 15, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. It's not a list of categorized works like this is good and this is bad. And if you do this, this is the good works. Uh, goodness is a fruit of the spirit, right? It, it's, it's being good. And this is the way I think we take goodness and we take work and we look at what Paul is saying and the word work is best understood as what you're occupied with, your employment, your business. In essence, a Christian is supposed to be about the goodness, the business of goodness, right? The business of goodness in all areas of their life. That's what Paul is trying to say when he says bearing fruit in every good work. And I can understand some of you are probably a little uncomfortable now, right? Because you've got church where all the good stuff happens and then you have work that we don't talk about and we have what happens at home and we kind of don't. But, but Paul says it's every area of your life. Like whether you are at work, at home, in your neighborhood, at church, at the ball field, in the store, on vacation, like every good work, every area of your life. Now, does this mean you'll be perfect? Of course not. That would take every good work and make it something that scripture doesn't support, but it does mean that in every single aspect of your life, there will be evidence of your identity in Christ. So as we think about this new year, one of the great things to ask ourselves is, if I didn't tell someone, would they know I was a Christian? Like, is there evidence? Am I about the business of being good at work, at home, uh, at church? I mean, do people know that I, have, that I know Christ because of the evidence that's in my life. So what is pleasing to the Father? The first thing Paul says is for his children to reflect their relationship with him in all areas of our life. So the question should be, how do, then I, how do I conduct myself in all the different and complicated areas as parents, as spouses, as employers, as employees, as children, even as church members? The second thing Paul says helps us when he says, not only do they display evidence of the relationship with him, but a disciple that pleases God grows in their knowledge of him. The second descriptor Paul uses is in, in verse 10. 
He prays that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. That literally means to grow. It's used in the scripture of plants, of kids. It's taking something from infancy and bearing it to maturity. So he said, I pray that you would be growing. And this word knowledge comes from this root word that means dealing with what is true versus what is false. So we can know things that are false, right? We can find out later that we thought something was true, but it's not. Paul's not talking about this. He's saying, I pray that you would grow in knowing what is true about God, right? What he expects from you, what he uh, wants for you, what, he, what his will is. Remember, he prayed that it'd be full of his will. And so increasing in the knowledge or growing in knowledge leads us to be able to walk worthy. And this is, of course, true in normal relationships too, right? In marriage and kids. I mean, when you say I do, you may think you know a lot about your spouse, but you learn as you go, right? Uh, moving in together, you learn more about your spouse. Uh, the first financial hiccup, you learn about your spouse. When you have kids, you learn about your spouse. So you continuously learn about the true things about your spouse. It happens with our kids too, right? Half of parenting is learning how God wired our children, how they learn, and then how to then help guide them into becoming the men and women that we pray they will be. So on a micro level, we know this is true. The more we know concerning our spouse, the more we can conduct ourselves in a way that pleases them. Our men, at the very least, slightly less annoys them, right? The more we know, the more we can get and be pleasing to them. Listen, this is Paul's prayer, and this is, what he, this is the heart of what Paul prays, and, and I thought this was important. Paul says, I know that you know God, right? He says, believers at Colossae, I've heard of your faith. I know that you know God, but I pray that the knowledge you currently possess wouldn't be the end of your knowledge of him. Like, what if all we knew about our spouse or our kids was what we learned in the first interaction? It wouldn't be a very fruitful relationship, would it be? And so Paul says, I pray that the, what you know now, even though you know him, is not the end of it. I pray that you would increase in your knowledge of God in the same way as we grow to know our spouses and our kids, the more we learn about God, the more we can bring our lives into conformity to what pleases God by knowing him more of his character, more of his ways, more of his expectations. And guys, this is something that we're never done with. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian a week, a month, or 20 years, there's always more to understand concerning God, right? There's always more to understanding his will, his love, his calling. It's never gonna be, I know God, period, right? It'll never, not, whether you've been a Christian 30, 40, 50 years, it's always gonna be, I know God, but I'm learning to know him more, right? And so Paul is saying, I bet a Christian, a disciple who's pleasing God is going to be growing in their knowledge of God. I was thinking about this year in 2020, and Brittany and I have been married, married for 17 years, right? I got the nod. Okay, 17 years. And I'm still learning about her, right? Like this year has brought new challenges. It's brought, uh, we've opened a business, and I'm, and I'm getting to watch her grow, and I'm learning things about her that are true that I did not know. And that is enriching our relationship. And so if that's true of your spouse, how much more is it true of God who is an inexhaustible fountain? that we can drink as deeply as we desire. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says this. He's praying again for them. He said, may, may you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says again, I'm praying that you would be strengthened to comprehend. And he uses his fourfold uh, length and breadth and height and depth to describe just how awesome the knowledge of God is. And then he says, but I pray that you would know it. But then he reminds us that it is in fact unknowable. It surpasses knowledge. You can learn your whole life and never fully know God. But you can learn your whole life. That's that's what Paul is saying is that knowing God is a lifelong pursuit of growing in our knowledge of who God is and what is true about him. And so before we move on, I think we need to acknowledge, though, that this is not merely an intellectual knowledge, although it's certainly not less. Right? We, don't, we don't need to err on the other side where we say learning and, and intellectual knowledge is cold and therefore what we need is more emotions and more experiences and more, more godly things like that. And that's exactly what Paul is writing against in this letter. He's saying we need to study the Bible. We need life group discussion. We need good Bible studies. We need a wide gamut of Christian classes. But their goal can simp- not be simply the accrual of more head knowledge, but rather to establish a growing foundation for how you conduct yourself, or as Paul says here, how you walk, right? So the knowledge of God is not merely to be head knowledge, but a way that we guide our walk. We must never lose sight of the fact that increasing in knowledge of God and bearing fruit are not divorced from one another, but are dependent on each other to the experience of fullness of God. They're two sides of the coin. Right? The more we know what is true about God, the more we can bear fruit in our life. They, they go together and we can't divorce the two. And so a disciple who is growing in their knowledge of God, who is displaying their relationship with God in all areas of their life will please God and therefore will have a perfect, happy life without trial or tribulation, right? If 2020 has taught us anything, that is not true, is it, right? Life is complicated, it's challenging, it's difficult, People are messy sinners, of course not us, but other people. So how does a follower of Christ please God during those times? That's the third descriptor. Paul says not only does a disciple display evidence of their relationship with him, not only does a disciple that pleases God grow in their knowledge of him, a disciple that pleases God endures with joy, with his strength and with God's strength. The third descriptor Paul uses in Colossians 1.11, and he says, I pray that you would you'd be being strengthened. Being strengthened, something, this is how I describe that, how I define that. Being strengthened is something that is done to us that then changes how we do things, right? Something that is done to us that then changes how we do things. What this does not mean is that I am strong enough to handle this. Because I have God, because Christ is in me, then I'm strong enough to handle this. What it does mean is that he is strong enough to handle it and that I am depending on his strength to get me through this. So for me, the idea here is uh, being strengthened is to grow in our reliance of our dependence on God. It's enlarging our ability to rely on his strength. It's it's a stretching, if you will, right? It's, It's a muscle that has to be enlarged so that we trust him more and rely on him more and we're strengthened. It's something that God does to us. And Paul gives us twofold reason why we need it. Two words. He says, endurance and patience. And I think it's important to understand why we need to be strengthened. Paul says endurance, and this word um, is, is patiently enduring under a load. I had a 
professor that, that drew a really simple picture, and it's always stuck with me, of a stick figure under a huge rock. On that rock, he wrote patience. And he said, what endurance means in the Bible is patiently enduring under a load because that's where God has you, right? God has brought you or allowed this situation to happen. And patience, endurance here is staying there going, God, I, you're strong enough. You want me here. I don't know why, but I'm going to stay right here. It's not fighting against it. It's just enduring. And then the word patience is literally long-tempered. We often translate it as long-suffering. It, it's, it's having a long fuse, right? It, it's being able to patiently go through difficulties. It's listed as a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. If you take these two words, what Paul says, endurance and patience, it really covers the gauntlet of human frustration, right? It's either a difficult situation or a difficult person. You need endurance for the difficult situation. You need patience for the difficult person. And Paul says, so what you need to be strengthened for is to endure these human frustrations. Because listen, if it wasn't for bad situations or difficult people, this thing would be easy, right? Life would be pretty simple, but we know those things happen. And Paul says that you need to be strengthened to endure those things with endurance and patience. But here's the, the kind of the rub we come to. Paul says not only do you need strength to endure and be patient, but you need to do so with joy. If he'd have just left it alone, right? But he didn't. He presses in. He says, you need to do these things with joy. And it sounds so foreign to us, but I was trying to think of ways that kind of would make sense to us of things we endure with joy. And of course, I thought about pregnancy and childbirth, you know, any difficulties we go through, we kind of endure that with joy because of what God is working in us and kind of the outcome and um, even simpler examples of, of working out, we endure that with joy because of the progress or the outcome, the experience. We, we practice hard because of the game. Like we endure these things with joy. I, I told Cynthia, I was thinking about her with these crazy marathons, right? Our very own Cynthia runs these marathons on purpose, right? Nobody's chasing her. She just goes and she does it. And it, I don't understand it, but she does so with joy, right? It, it's something she enjoys doing. She even practices with joy and she's kind of infectious with it. Uh, she inspires others around her to be joyful. And so there are things that we do endure with joy, but because I thought that through, I thought this is where it kind of, it comes to an end though, right? Because the best training still only carries us to the point of our preparation. Or the best training is only gonna take you to that next rep, that next marathon, that next whatever it is, the marathon runner isn't ready to run another marathon after the first one. I talked to Cynthia. It takes time. You have to recover, right? You're not ready to play another game after you've left it all on the field. Uh, it takes time for the body to heal. There's, there's things, right? It, you get a rest. But what happens when the difficulties don't stop coming? In 2020, when it's just one thing after another, You've lost a loved one. You've lost a job. Your family's in, in struggle. Like, it just keeps coming. There's no rest. What do you do? Paul says, listen, being strengthened, endurance and patience, but we're not left to our own ability. Listen to what he says. According to his glorious might. Right? Being strengthened according to his glorious mind, according to not your abilities, not your understanding, not your experience, but his glorious mind. Another way to say it is his majestic power. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful that the limit of what you can endure with joy isn't based on you, but based on God? 
It changes everything, right? Paul says, I pray that God would strengthen you for endurance and patience with joy according to his glorious might, not according to yours. It's very similar to what he prays for the Ephesian believers. He says, again, he's praying, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, according to the riches of his glory, not according to our riches. This is a strength that the Holy Spirit takes and puts down in our inner being that allows us to rely more fully on the abundance of his glorious might and to do so with joy. Something that is done to us that then changes how we do things, right? So a disciple who is patiently enduring difficulties with joy, who is growing in their knowledge of God and displaying their relationship with God in all areas of life will please the Father. And so Paul started with this kind of foundational, a disciple that's pleasing God will display evidence of relationship with him. And then he kind of ends this list, these descriptors, with one that covers the overall attitude of a disciple of Jesus who is pleasing to the Father. Number one, he says they display evidence of the relationship with him. Number two, they grow in their knowledge of him. Number three, they endure with joy, with his strength. And finally, he says, a disciple that pleases God expresses gratitude for his salvation. The fourth and final scripture Paul uses in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father. Now, Paul highlights the importance of giving many times over. Like, it was more than I could put in, in this sermon to relay all the scriptures. But if we kind of bring them all together from Ephesians and Philippians and 1 Thessalonians and Colossians, you get this idea of giving thanks always for everything in all circumstances in the name of Jesus. And he says in one place, this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. And kind of, if you take them all together, what we learn from all these is that gratitude or giving thanks is not a one-time thing, but a continuing way to live. Listen to the language, giving thanks always for everything. Be thankful, not just say thanks, but be thankful. Do everything, giving thanks, giving thanks in all circumstances. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving over and over again. He describes this ongoing gratitude. And kids, Christmas, you know, is kind of come and gone, and hopefully you got what you wanted, right? Did everybody get what they want? All right, all right. Uh, we've got a hand raised over here. But when you opened that present, right, there was, there was gratitude that welled up within you. You said, thank you so much. You know, this is exactly what I wanted. Uh, and so you were excited. And, and guys, it's the same way for us. Thank you so much. This is what I asked you for. There's this gratitude. But as we grow, we understand that real gratitude the kind that affects us deeply and affects the ongoing relationship with the giver doesn't stop there, does it? Every time we see the gift, every time we wear it, every time we use it, there's this gratitude that wells up within us, right? I was thinking about one of the most simple gifts I've ever gotten from Brittany, and it was one of those reasons that she just bought a gift for, for no reason. Guys, that's a great thing to do in about a week or two, right? Between Christmas and February, just buy a gift for no reason, give it to your wife. Right, so she had one of those gifts, and there was a. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I like coffee a lot. Some people say an unhealthy amount. I don't. I don't agree with that, but I always have a coffee cup with me. And there was a local coffee company that was selling a coffee cup that I wanted, but it was too much, and I kind of put it off. And one day, Brittany bought it for me. So for two years now, I've used this coffee cup almost every single day. The kids know it's off limits. You can't touch it. You'll get in trouble. Right? It doesn't go in the dishwasher. It's that kind of, it's a thick diner mug and it just, it's my favorite cup. But every time I drink out of it, 
I'm reminded that she bought it for me and there's a gratitude with that. And if that's something that simple, then I ask you, what is that thing that you have that brings feelings of gratitude even now? Every time you use it, you wear it, you think about it, the person who gave it to you and there's a gratitude. And that's what Paul's saying here. This is not just a cursory, like, thank you, like gratitude. He's saying this is an ongoing feeling of gratitude, a life marked by gratitude. And Paul says, why shouldn't a believer's life be marked by gratitude? Like, what does Paul say we should be thankful for? Our salvation, which every believer has. Listen to how he expresses it. He says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in line. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. God has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then he sums it up this way. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, as a believer, we all have more than enough to be thankful for, right? Pastor Todd talked about this a few weeks ago concerning peace. He was talking about the satisfaction of the soul. And he says, our joy and our peace should not be tethered to our circumstances, but rather to the promises of God that then allow us to get beyond the circumstances to the lasting hope we have in Christ. In the same way, no matter our circumstance or our situation, Paul says the basis for our gratitude is unchanging because it's based on what God has already done for us. Notice the language. God has qualified you. God has delivered you. God has transferred you. Right? These are things that God has already done for you. And what he has already done still affects you today, right? And think about it. Every time we pray and we know God hears us, every time we can't think of the words and yet the scripture tells us that God hears us because the scripture is intervening and groaning on our behalf, every time we ask the Lord to forgive us and we get up and know that he has. Every time we open our Bibles and we know we can hear from him. Every breath we take, every moment we live, everyone a good and precious gift from the very God that chose to save us. If someone says they have been saved, redeemed, and they can't think of something to be grateful for every second of the day, they may need to ask themselves if they really understand what they're saying. Because what they're saying, Paul says, is that their life has been changed that they have been qualified, delivered, and transferred. So how does this relate to a life that pleases God? One of the quotes I came across in my preparation was by former President JFK. It was his last Thanksgiving address, just days before his untimely death. As he's reflecting on Thanksgiving and gratitude and what it means to live gratefully, he said this, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. Paul's not saying to say you're thankful. Paul is saying to live a life that shows you're thankful. Paul says a follower of Christ will live differently because of what God has done. There will be a gratitude in his heart. A disciple who pleases God is a disciple that lives with and expresses gratitude. So we take these two scriptures together. Paul says, a disciple who pleases God will display evidence of their relationship with him. They will grow in their knowledge of him. They will endure with joy with his strength and they will express gratitude for his salvation. So as we wrap up this morning, I, I wanna remind you what it was Paul prayed for for these believers. 
He said this, pray they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And because of that prayer, because they were filled with that knowledge, they would then conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the Lord. And therefore, their life would please him. And if they did that, their life would be marked by these four descriptors. But if you left here today, with that being your list of things to do, I would have failed you terribly. Because that wasn't the prayer. Not that these things you would do, but these things would be evidence of, of what you already have. A way to evaluate your life. And so as we come to the end of the year, here's some questions for you. Am I displaying evidence of my relationship with God in all areas of my life? Am I growing in my knowledge of God daily, monthly, over the years? Am I not just enduring difficult situations and difficult people, but am I doing it with joy, resting not in my strength, but relying on his strength? And am I regularly feeling and expressing gratitude to God for my salvation? Now, if this doesn't mark your life, it's one of two things. Either it's not descriptive of your life because you've never put your faith in Christ. You don't possess that gospel seed that we talked about in the beginning. Or you do, but like the church at Colossae, you've been using incorrect evaluations on whether or not you're pleasing God by your walk. So in a moment, we're gonna have a time of invitation and reflection we're gonna have people up here, decision encouragers. And if you don't know God, if you're like, I, I want that to describe my life, but I can't say that I, I know him. I can't say that I've ever accepted that, that good soil, I've never been there. Then come and just tell someone, I want that life. And if you have it, if you're a Christian, but this doesn't describe your life, then they're here to, to pray for you. Maybe it's confessing an area of your life that you're just not walking in a godly conduct. Maybe it's at home or work. You say, pray for my job. They couldn't tell you if I was a Christian or not. Whatever it is, we're here to pray for you and to help you. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul, who doesn't leave us to guess whether or not our life pleases God, but gives us this list that says, this is what a believer who pleases God will look like. Pray that everyone here today would be able to go through this list and identify an area of their life where they are pleasing you. And if there's an area that's not, that today would be the day they confess it to you. That they receive the forgiveness that is already theirs, the redemption they possess, and that they would then walk in it fully in order to please you. And if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, Father, I pray the gospel seed has been spread wide and that the soil will be ready and they would respond today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.